you are listening to the vcast hey everybody how are you welcome to the vcast if this is your first time listening i am your host vic sedeno and i am back after a long hiatus i don't even remember when my last episode was it was last year all right it was a year ago was the last episode and I have been so busy I could not have been able to record. I've been touring the world, seeing everything, um, and that's all a lie. I uh, just got, um, I don't know, I got complacent. Is that the word? Or lazy? Maybe that's another word. And I just started pushing it off. Sometimes when things are difficult, you just push them off. Well, I do anyway. And that's what I did, but I'm back. I'm here to record. I want to get back on this microphone. I had so much fun speaking with you in long format. All right, so what's been going on since my last hurrah? I started this podcast uh, to document my comedy career and, um, you know, all the happenings and goings. And I stopped. Uh, but I have been working. I've been grinding on the mic um, since I've last recorded. I don't know if I had the show um, when I recorded, but... Um, yeah, I have my own show. It's on Tuesdays, Laugh It Up Tuesdays at Nikki's Bar and Grill. Every single Tuesday, featuring some of the funniest comedians from the New Jersey, New York area, and anybody that comes in out of town that happens to hit me up. Um, it's very fun. We've had such a good time doing it. Uh, it's been a lot of big, a lot of good feedback. I'm going to try to slow down my words so that I'm not stumbling and fumbling as I try to get back into this groove. Um, I have a jacket. I'm down in my basement where it's 243 degrees below zero. My wife actually likes to think this is a cave instead of a man cave. So we don't put the heat on down here a lot. So I'm down here with a jacket. But now that I'm talking to you guys, I am warming up. I actually just cut the heat off because this little mic I have here picks up everything, every little sound. So I have to turn off the the heat so you don't hear the whistling. So I'm going to get back at my wife that way. So when they freeze upstairs while I'm doing this podcast, we will have retribution. All right, I don't know where I'm going with that. But um, yeah, so uh, Laugh It Up Tuesdays, I've been doing shows, I've been getting booked, um, things have been progressing, I think... Um, pretty well. Obviously, there's always more that I could be doing, um, but I'm pretty happy so far. One year of comedy this month, guys. Uh, beginning of uh, February was one month. Um, I'm also on that social media break again. Last year, I did the social media break, and I took off the month of February, got off of all social medias, deleted all the apps from my phone, and uh, it's been great. Um, I've documented the whole process this year, uh, basically, just taking little notes every day and, uh, you know, just my interaction with how not having social media after being a, such a social media whore and seeing where it, it brings me mentally and just, you know, the habits that I formed and trying to break them and dependencies and all that good stuff and just how I interact with social media on a daily basis and what happens when you take it out. Um, and it's been pretty uh, pretty interesting. I've also added sobriety to the mix. So I haven't been doing anything. No fun stuffs this month. And I've uh, done that just to get a little bit clear-headed and um, get back on the game. Uh, trying to lose some weight again. You know, all that stuff. Just, just trying to focus on things. Sometimes uh, just eliminating the good stuff out of your life. The stuff that you like. The stuff that takes up a lot of your time. Uh, helps you reassess things. Uh, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to focus on discipline, guys. I am so undisciplined. I only do things when I'm in the mood to do things, and that's not a good practice. Because uh, a lot of times, when you're not in the mood thing to move, when you're not in the mood to do things, is when you need to be doing things. Sometimes, let me try to rephrase that. Sometimes when you're not in the mood to do things, you're not or you're not always motivated to do things. That's when discipline kicks in, and discipline will get you a lot farther than talent or um, or just talent. You know, talent plus discipline, all that stuff. You know, just you know what I'm trying to say. All right, 
That's not what I'm here to harp about. But um, just just where I've been as far as trying to really work on discipline and doing things when I don't want to do them. And, and um, I haven't been doing well at that either. Even on the break, I have been obsessed with Red Dead Redemption 2 for PlayStation 4. Which I towards the end of this thing now, I'm thinking I might. Oh, I don't know. I can't believe I'm even saying this. I'm actually considering getting rid of my PS4, um, just because it's been eating too much time. I I really don't have any damn discipline, and when I should be writing or when I should be working on my website or when I should be designing a logo or trying to get booked or blah 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 blah, recording a podcast. I'm playing video games, and that is not where, um, that's not going to get me to where I want to be, all right? Video games are fun. They get me outside of my head. They're really great to relax, but I've put in a ridiculous amount of hours this month on just this video game kick. Um, so yeah, so that game has eaten up, like, so much time. I don't know what happened to the mic here. And how did we get to echo? Bear with me once. Oh my god, I'm echoing all the way now, guys. Hold one second. Alright, sorry about that, but the mic still sounds weird. Ah, oh, technical difficulties right off the bat. Here we go. I think I'm good. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, I still feel like I'm echoing. Echo? Echo Bravo, one, two, what is happening on this microphone? Shit. All right, um. Whoa, okay, testing, testing. Sorry about that, we're back. I would um, have young Jamie edit this out, but I don't have a young Jamie, so that's what's just gonna happen. You're just gonna hear it and get over it and keep it moving, all right, guys? Um, all right, the point of this podcast, I wanted to um, to get back on the mic and just talk about something that's been bouncing around in my head and uh, something that's come to a big realization as a 37, going to be a 37-year-old man, um, and it's about my dad, and I don't know, um, I didn't know where I was going to go with this, I don't want to sit here and do a whole life story. Like I was thinking I was just going to start rambling about when my dad was born and where he was born and what, you know, all that stuff. But um, I want to talk about it a little bit because it's something that affected my life since I was six years old when my dad passed away. My dad passed away when I was six. Uh, he died of AIDS from heroin abuse, uh, sharing needles, and he got AIDS. And back in the 80s, that was an immediate death sentence. Uh, very, very weird times. Um, I need to talk more to my family about just that time and everything surrounding it. Uh, I was six years old again when I was, when my dad passed. So I have very limited memories with him, but my dad was a hero in my family. All right. I know everybody's dad is a hero and that's the way it should be. Parents, heroes. Okay. Mom and dad. Uh, my mom is absolutely a hero. She's the incredible Hulk of all, <laughs> of all people, especially if you've ever met my mom and she's gotten mad at you, you will know she is the incredible Hulk. And my dad was Superman. And um, where am I going to start with this? Um, all right, so my relationship with my father basically shaped my whole childhood without him being around. Um, I didn't know it, but I was growing up very resentful and I was growing up angry and my anger and my resentment came out in the form of, uh, humor because that's how I dealt with things at an early age. Always loved to make people laugh, always wanted to be the center of attention. And when my dad passed, the, I really became the center of attention because I'm the junior, right? I'm Victor Manuel Cedeno Jr. And my dad was just Victor Manuel Cedeno. And uh, you like how I say that? Get that little Spanish en in your face. Cedeno, okay? And um, uh, my dad was a hero to my family, uh, especially to his family. He was there for everybody um, all the time, you know, just always 
sacrificing himself at the uh, at the beckon of the family. Whatever the family needed, my dad was there. And he was also the you know a very bright personality. He was five um, eleven. Uh, he was five eleven. Oh man, I'm trying to remember what his license said as far as his weight. I think he was like 215 pounds. 5'11", like 215 pounds. Solid guy. I remember the stories from when I was little. He worked, uh, he met my mom at a um, coffee plant. Um, back at the time, it was called Wexler. I don't know if it was a name before that, but it was originally Wexler. Then it got bought by some other company, and then it became Sara Lee. Sara Lee owns it now. And they used to package coffee, the same coffee that when you go to your job and you bust open those little packs of coffee and you pour them into the coffee maker, that's what my dad did. He worked at a plant that grounded those coffee beans down and packaged them oh, Excuse me for sale to uh, Burger King, Dunkin' Donuts, um, all those gas stations, uh, you know, the places where they get their coffee from, that place used to sell it to um, to them. And uh, my dad met my mom there. My dad used to work there. And the point of me saying that was because of his physical strength. He used to take these big 7,500-pound burlap bags of coffee beans. And, you know, other people would be using these two hooks that you held in your hand. And you used to hook the bags, pick them up. And dump them over the side, rip them open, and let the coffee out. And my dad would do that all day long, barehanded, one hand, just lifting these freaking sacks up and throwing them, um, throwing them around. You know, who knows if this feats of strength were exaggerated, but I believe it. Um, my dad used to do a lot of exercising around the house, and uh, always used to flex his traps. And uh, my dad was into pro wrestling. My dad was into um, Tarzan. Tarzan, big time. He used to do that. Uh, I can't do it right now because I don't want to wake up the kids because I will belt it out. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, my dad was into all that stuff. And uh, my dad was larger than life. My dad was the, the, the a hit with the ladies. He was a hit with the ladies. I know my mom's not going to want to hear that, but he was a hit with the ladies. She'll tell you. She was one of them. And... <laughs> and um, uh, my dad was just, you know, just a cool guy. Any pictures you see, he used to wear those jackets with the elbow pads, the glasses. My dad looked like Pablo Escobar. Not the Pablo Escobar in the movie, um, who kind of looked like a pig, but um, uh, the real Pablo Escobar. But without the big nose. Pablo Escobar had a much bigger nose. And my dad had, like, the little afro. Um, yeah, he was light-skinned. Uh, Spanish. He was born in Puerto Rico. He's, you know, he had that hillbilly accent to him. Um, as the Puerto Ricans call it, Ibaro, maybe. I don't know, I might be making this up, but this is my memory. So a lot of things I may get wrong, and I hope my family hears this and they can correct me and we can have conversations about it. Because growing up, I never liked to hear stories about my dad. Um, primarily because it used to hurt to hear stories. I used to hate that everybody else had memories with him. And because he died when I was so young, I didn't have many memories. I only had a handful of memories. Um, I remember him teaching me how to drive as a little kid. Like, not teaching me, but letting me sit on his lap and drive around the parking lot, hold the wheel. And um, I remember going to the park one time. Uh, I don't know if it was Bear Mountain or I think it might have been Welch Lakes. And just being with a lot of people and... Um, you know, having the picnic blankets out and him laying on the ground and I would wrestle around with him and just always jumping on his back. Um, and what other memories do I have? I have a memory from when he was sick and I don't, I, di I didn't know what was going on. Obviously I was a little kid, but he was sick one day and he was home and he didn't get out of bed and I was on my way to school. I was in first grade, kindergarten. I want to say, for I had to be in kindergarten, like six years old. I was five or six. He was already really sick. And um, he was home one day, and he was just in bed. And I remember, I, I'm trying to, I don't remember his face. I don't remember his voice. I don't remember, like, you know, what it was like to talk to him. But I just remember him being in bed and him telling me to go to school. And I didn't want to go to school because he was sick. I wanted to stay home with him. And, um, you know, he told me, no, go to school. So I pretended to leave. I walked down the long hallway of my apartment in Hackensack, and I opened the door, and I closed it, 
and then I went in the other room and I hid in the other room for as long as it would be so that when I came out or when I was found that it was already too late to go to school and I hid in there and I don't remember what the consequences were um, and I don't know if it led to my other memory I have of him and that was um, going to um, I don't know if it was methadone or if it was treatment for um, for the AIDS but we went to um, these trailers that were set up next to the Hackensack Jail on River Road, if anybody knows that um, street. And uh, it was down there, and there was like these these trailers set up, and we went inside, and I remember um, it was kind of had like the doctor's office feel. They had that jug with the water with those little cone cups, and I used to drink, you know, I'm filling up the water. with. Uh, I just kept drinking water. I was like so... I thought it was so cool that they just had this water jug here, so I'm just filling cups of water. I have no idea what's going on, um, but I've just, you know, that's those are the very few memories I have. I remember going to see my dad when uh, my uncle's house. He lived across the street. I left like just memories of of being in the apartment with him, and and that's it. I mean, that's really it for memories. And I just, I just remember being loved a lot from my dad. Um, that's memories that my family always shared. And like I said, I never, never wanted to, um, to, I never wanted to hear stories. I was always jealous and it made me angry and it made me really upset. And people would always tell me all the great stories about my dad, all the, the tales all right, these were like tall tales about my dad. I remember um, I'd hear a story about one time when they were driving in the, in the Bronx in a car and some guy on a bike tried to carjack them. And my dad got out of the car and shook the guy up off the bike and took his knife from him and pushed him off the bike and told him to get out of there. And um, just got back in the car like it was nothing. Like my, um, you know, like I said, uh, he was a Superman to so many people. My brother and sister, who have different fathers, called him dad. Like, that was their dad. Um, and he was really close with them. And they got to, to, you know, obviously experience a lot more of them because they were already teenagers um, when he passed. So they have a lot more memories. They have, you know, so many things. So much untapped. So much untapped that it's... 31 years have gone by. It'll be 31 years this, you know, this um, December. And and I never talk to them. Like, I never sit down and I talk to them about my dad. I never just ask questions. I've never, never, never done that. Just like I said, because I grew up with so much resentment. I grew up so, um, so angry about the whole situation of him not being there. Uh, and as I grew up, I didn't know my dad died of AIDS until I was, um, uh, I think like 16, maybe 15, 16 years old. All my life, I grew up thinking he died of leukemia because um, that's what my mom told me. You know, they didn't want to, again, the big stigma with AIDS. And to protect me, my mom told me that he died of leukemia. So I, all my life, I grew up thinking he died of uh, the, another disease I didn't even understand, leukemia. And that's what I would tell people, of course, because uh, I didn't know any better. And one day I was uh, going through my mom's safe. I forgot what I was looking for, some sort of paperwork or something, and I came across a death certificate. And um, and I remember t approaching my mom like if I was going to get like a sit-down conversation and an apology or nothing. <laughs> and typical um, Puerto Rican mom fashion, she told me off. Um, you know, basically, like, what did you want me to do? You know, what did you want me to tell you as a, as a little kid? You know, when were we going to have sit down and have this conversation? So she um, put a stop to any kind of anger that I had towards her immediately. I was very upset with her in the, uh, in the interim, but, you know, the way she explained it made perfect sense. Even as a, as a juvenile, was, you know, what are you going to tell a kid? about their dad that dies of a disease that nobody understands, that there's no cure for, that was just an immediate death sentence. Like, you know, who knows? And I, as an adult, I'm starting to empathize with all that. And this is really why I wanted to 
um, put this podcast together was just because it took me 31 years to get to where I'm at with this and, and there's other people that are probably struggling with the same thing and in this day and age of digital media and putting stuff out there like this if somebody hears this and is able to get some clarity some closure is able to get a different perspective on their situation and it helps cut some time off of that for them then it's worth it and um, it's also just good for me to talk about it uh, I guess and um so, yeah, my whole life I grew up, uh, you know, just angry. Angry about it. Every single uh, event where, they were, you know, people had their dads or I go to my friend's house and they had their dads. Like, I didn't like saying father. I didn't like saying dad. I didn't like saying uh, any of those things. Father's Day, like, just all of that really, really hurt me my whole life. And I never... Um, I never dealt with it, I never addressed it, and, and that manifested into a lot of things. Um, see, when I was little and my dad passed, my family, because of who my dad was, gave me so much attention. They gave me so much love, and um, I got addicted to it early, you know, and um, I would take it out everywhere. Like, I carried that behavior like if everybody was supposed to treat me the same way. Like if everyone that I encountered knew that I that I was half a bastard, or not half a bastard, half an orphan, um, half an orphan, and um, and they didn't. Nobody gives a fuck about you in life uh, and what you've gone through. Everybody has their own shit, and nobody's empathetic at the levels that I was expecting people to be. Not consciously. I wasn't consciously expecting people to feel sorry for me or treat me a different way. But when you get so used to being treated a certain way, you act in that manner. And then you're surprised when you don't get that same reaction. So all through school, anybody that's went to high school with me and knows this, this might make sense now as to why I was the way I am. I would just do outbursts. I just always wanted attention. That was my drug of choice since I was a young kid, is attention and um, making people laugh or just being disruptive, um, being a jerk, excuse me, um, and all those things were just ways that it manifested itself. And, um, and you know, in school, like I, I, you know, I joke around that, um, I, I forgot what year it was, I think it was like junior year, I developed this nickname, people started calling me Stench. Because I didn't know about deodorant, all right? I didn't have a dad that taught me that I was supposed to wear deodorant. So I just walked around stinking. And I didn't know why. Like, I, I would take extra showers. Um, you know, that nickname, at the time, it didn't really mean a lot uh, on the surface. But in, 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 in the background, it did because it... It highlighted the fact that I didn't have that 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 father to guide me and help me become a man like other people did. Oh, fun fact. My dad taught me how to pee with my uncircumcised dick. I remember that. That's another men, uh, memory I have. Um, you know, being uncircumcised, when you pee, there's like this little ball that pops up on the top because of the pressure. And he taught me that you push down on that so you get control over the stream. <laughs> Oh my God, that is hysterical! I just thought of that. I haven't thought about that in years. Um, yeah, I remember. I wow, now I vivid, I vividly remember that. Um, you know, my dad teaching me how to take control of the P9 and um, pointing that bad boy in the right direction. And I remember that really making me accurate because <laughs> before that, that shit would be like a sprinkler. You don't get no control of that bad boy. Um, so. You have to push the button down there, the pressure valve, and um, so where was I? Yeah, so yep, so you know those things, um, teaching me how to shave and teaching me, you know, I had my brother. My brother was like my um, my pseudo father figure. Uh, he was there for a lot of things, and and he was there as a male figure, but he was someone else that lacked that male figure in his life he had my dad but my dad died you know for him at a kind of pivotal age when he was on the cusp of becoming a man he had just gotten his license my brother was like maybe 16 17 years old 
when my dad died. And, um, and that was his figure too. You know, my dad helped him a lot. Uh, stories of my dad teaching him how to deal with bullies and making him a, a, you know, he got this stick and they wrapped tape around the handle and helped him deal with a neighborhood bully. Um, you know, things like that. That, um, I don't know if my dad helped my brother learn how to drive. I don't know if that's, um, if I'm just making that up. I'm just giving him more attributes. Um, so, fast forward. Where are we at? So, high school. Just growing up without a dad sucked. Um, and I was always very resentful of it. Always full of anger. I never wanted to hear any stories about him. I stay. I, I kind of. Um, I had my uncle. My uncle is my father's brother. Um, is my godfather, and he tried really hard to um, to pick up some slack. Um, he used to take me to a lot of places. He used to. Um, take me to the movies all the time he always had cool cars like irox corvettes nissan 300 zx twin turbo um he had a mercedes uh, just he, you know he had cool cars and and he would always come pick me up and take me for drives and take me to these races and um and that's when he was single you know and you know sleep over his house he bought me um he bought me nintendo he bought me sega genesis um, and, you know, my uncle was, was, he really tried hard to, to fill the gaps, but, you know, my uncle was his own man too, and he had to get a family eventually of his own, and, you know, then we kind of drifted apart, and I was resentful towards that, and I just started being resentful towards my whole father's side of my family just because of his memory, and the fact that they had that memory, and every time I saw them, it reminded me of my dad anybody that's a Cedeno reminds me of my dad and there was a lot of them and um, so I you know I, I started to get distant I started to obviously do drugs um, you know smoking weed and stuff and, uh, and just isolated so I just isolated away from all that and that led me down uh, you know just a bad path of um, of immaturity I wasn't a criminal I wasn't a um, well, I was a criminal. I was doing crimes. Who am I kidding? Um, you know, I was committing crimes, you know, stupid stuff like stealing and and um, a couple robberies and um, a couple robberies, a lot of robberies. I was robbing places when I was like eight, nine years old. <laughs> I was hanging with some some funny characters. That's another podcast. Um, we'll get into all that stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, so just, you know, Fast forward, get out of high school, still no direction, still no clue. Uh, you know, I really, really fumbled high school um, towards the end, uh, junior and senior year. As I got older, um, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened in my head. But again, this is from a long time of anger. I was very angry. Uh, my mom's side of the family, which I also have in, in me, um, has anger issues. Um, just, I, I wouldn't even call it anger issues. I'd call it rage issues. I have, I have a rage inside of me that I can't even begin to, um, to describe. That's a whole, um, other conversation, but that rage in me was growing that anger in me that I never dealt with, uh, which I attribute to my unsolved relationship or unresolved relationship with my dad, mostly um, to it. And, you know, just rebelling and acting a fool and, um, and ended up getting kicked out of high school my senior year, in May of my senior year, May or April. April of my senior year, I ended up getting kicked out of high school finally after a junior year, which I don't know how I even... I think they were just trying to get me out of the school. I don't know how I got past junior year when I missed like a hundred days of the damn school year, um, cutting schools, smoking weed, you know, just not, just not giving a fuck at all. And um, you know, teachers started to resent me. It used to go. It went from being cute to being a dick. And um, when I was younger, I would get you know be disruptive in class, but I was never disrespectful. And then it got to the point, um, sophomore 
junior year when I started becoming disrespectful and and it was just the anger manifesting itself. I don't I don't know. I have to really look back at um at that switch, that change in my life. And uh it was just unresolved, unresolved shit. And that carried on after high school, um, no direction, just really, really um I started trying to create this character. And I think I did this junior year was when I started to create this character because I was tired of hurting. I was tired of being in pain. I was tired of of um, being vulnerable. And um, so I just started, you know, creating this thug character in my mind. I was listening to a lot of rap music. My family is from, you know, from Camden, from Trenton, from the Bronx. Like, you know, I have all this family that did grow up in that life. My brother and my sister were both born in the Bronx, and then they moved to Jersey. Um, and I just started creating this character in my head. And I was like, you know what, this character is not going to be... This character is not going to be bullied. This character is not going to, um, uh, you know, be vulnerable. He's not going to feel pain. He's going to inflict pain. He's going to, he's going to be, you know, hard. And I created such a version of being hard that was not only wrong, but just so confused. And um, and the, and after high school, I didn't take that wall down. Instead, I built them higher. And I just, I kept growing, growing into this character and, um, isolating myself more. You know, I stopped talking to my uncle altogether. I stopped talking to, you know, my family altogether. Um, you know, my father's side of the family, uh, senior year, my grandmother died, my mother's mom. Uh, so I, I got kicked out of high school, uh, junior, no, senior year, April of senior year, I got transferred to another high school. So I had to finish my senior year, uh, like in May. I started another school. So I was in there for f six weeks, probably. So I had to meet all these new people. And you know what? Going into this high school, I wasn't going to make the same mistakes I made in the other high school. I'm not going to let them see weak Victor. I'm going to let them see strong Victor, new Victor, thugged out Victor. The Victor that doesn't take shit. The Victor that has an attitude. The Victor that has an answer for everything. He's going to tell you what he thinks. And I was, like I said, I was in there six weeks. I got in school suspension like four times. I got suspended from school twice. And I got put in summer school. My whole life, I never was in summer school. And I got put in summer school senior year. And um, and it fucking sucked. I didn't get to graduate with um, with all my friends that I had in high school. Um, grow, you know, growing up, I didn't get to graduate with them. I didn't get to graduate at all because my uh, my grandmother died. Um, graduate the week of graduation, or like right the day before graduation, my grandmother died, and that was it. The you know nobody was gonna go to the graduation, so I didn't go to the graduation. I got my 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 degree in the mail after completing uh, summer school, uh, and that was. Oh, that I mean, that didn't affect me at the time. I just, you know, like I said, I was, uh, I had this this facade of not giving a fuck, and it was so fake. It was all so fake, and anybody that could see through it, I just stayed away from. You're not gonna fucking call me out on my shit. Um, uh, so yeah, that led to me getting uh, in trouble for real, for real with the law. Now, when I got kicked out of school. I got in trouble um, because, of, again, I was being an arrogant ass and just saying the wrong things in school. And uh, then teachers needed, you know, just it, it just sh it shined the wrong light on me. And, you know, people got tired of me. And since I wasn't living in that district anymore, they did me. A f they weren't going to do me any more favors. They were doing me a favor by letting me finish my year out there. And they. Um, they said, you know what, we don't need to, we don't need you to be here. So I didn't officially get expelled. I got, um, they just rejected me being in that district. I'm not in that district anymore, so I'm out of there. So I had to go to school in my district. And um, what the hell was I saying about that? Um, so school finished and... Um, Oh, yeah, well, I got put on probation because of when I got kicked out of school. 
Um, I had, um, they found a roach in my car. Cops had searched my car. You know, there was a problem at the school. And the school called the cops on me, and they searched me, and they couldn't find nothing. And because I was being a wise-ass wannabe thug, talking shit to the police and yelling at them while they were searching me, like, you know, because I thought I knew it all. You're not going to find nothing. You're not going to find nothing. No, I'm a dummy, and I left a roach in the car. And they found that, that little teeny-weeny roach. It looked like it was three years old. And it was in my mom's car, and they arrested me, and my mom had to come and get embarrassed further and um, come get me at the police station. I was a juvenile, so I got, you know, probation until I turned 18. As long as I stayed out of trouble, it would go away, and it did. But the behavior didn't, and that kept going, that same attitude. And uh, I started, um, I, I, I'm... I don't want to go too deep into this because I want to do a separate podcast about that. But um, I got in trouble with the law again, and this time it was serious. And this time I had prison time in front of me. And I remember going to court and thinking it was a joke again. Like, you know, nothing's going to happen to me. Nothing ever happens to me. Um, And it wasn't a joke. I was facing 25 years in prison, and the only out was to avoid prison time because I was sentenced to prison four years in prison with an 18-month stipulation, which meant I had to do a minimum of 18 months in prison, not county jail, not a clubhouse, in state prison. And I was shit in a brick. So I opted out for a program called Drug Court. And Drug Court program, I had to pretend that I was an addict, alcoholic, and at the time, I thought I was pretending, but really, I just had to tell them the truth, and um, and they believed me. So uh, I got sent to treatment, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because in treatment, I got to deal with something I've never dealt with before in my life, and that was my resentment for my father. Uh, I just I thought that he made I thought he in my mind he chose drugs over me. That was my resentment. That's what it all boiled down to. He chose drugs over me, and I, I, it's hard for me to even say this, but I hated him for it. I really did. And um, it broke my heart whenever I thought of it. Like, um, And that's really why I hated when I ever heard my family would talk about him like he was a fucking hero, when in my mind, he was a junkie that fucked up and got himself killed and didn't think of me, Right? Um, that that's how I grew up. That was my deep down feeling that I never dealt with. And and in rehab, and God bless um, Teresa, the counselor there, who was a fucking hard ass, big black woman, would sh- make everybody shit a brick when she, if she pointed her wrath at you, you were fucked. She was hard, and um, you know things happen for a reason. And I got put in her group. And she uh, she took it out of me, man. She really, really helped me. I had a lot of good one-on-one sessions with her, sitting in her little ass office. And, you know, most of the conversations were about my dad. She zeroed in on it. She knew. She knew when I didn't know. And she told me, and I'll never forget, sitting in office and, um, oh, I'm trying to get through this without shedding a damn tear. Uh, she told me in her office, she, she said, you're angry. You're very angry at your father, and you don't know it. And <laughs> that I felt so disrespected, and I walked out of her office angry at her. Like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I love my father. My father is the hero, you know, and I, right away I want to regurgitate everything everybody told me, but I was only fooling myself. I was angry. I was very, very angry at my father, and I, I, I cried my eyes out just thinking about. I felt it was so disrespectful for me to be angry at him, but um, that's how I felt. I felt he chose drugs over me, and um, and it made me feel like less than shit, like less than dog shit, and um, and that's how I I grew up viewing myself without knowing it. These are um, things I, I you know. You're able to determine hindsight, but you don't see it when you're in it. I always thought, um, you know, I love my dad, but I didn't want to say, I didn't want to say it, 
you know what I mean? And um, you know, I didn't want to say I never talked. Like I said, I never talked about my dad. I never, you know, I never wanted to celebrate Valentine's Day because his birthday is February fourteenth, and I never ever wanted to celebrate Valentine's Day with anybody. Like girls, you'd be lucky if you get a fucking card on Valentine's Day. I I probably break up with you before Valentine's Day, um, just so I don't have to deal with it. But uh, that's that was that was a big big. Um, like pivotal moment in my life was was coming to grips with that and dealing with that resentment and talking about it you know for for six months I was in that program for six months inpatient so that was you know there was nowhere to run there was no drugs there was no alcohol to cover up the feelings there was nothing there was you and your notepad and you talking it out and uh, and those six months were were a, a real real big blessing to me because I got a lot of that out and in getting that out I was able to take those walls down and I was able to take those um, those um, those defenses that I've built you know to to not be vulnerable and I was able to remove them and and look at myself for the first time and uh, and I became a man there I wasn't a man before. I was 23 years old, but I wasn't a man. I was a kid, and I was making kid decisions. And uh, that intervention in my life, as much as I resented it at the time that I had to go through that, helped me grow into the man I am. So I'm always, always be grateful for that um, that experience. But more than anything, it was being able to, to get that anger out. Um, you know, uh, out in the open so I can deal with it. Because I could never deal with anger from my dad if I didn't know I was angry at him. And um, Teresa um, pointed that out to me. And um, and I'll forever be grateful for that, too. Um, so, does the story end there? No, because I was resentful to my dad. And I thought I, thought I forgave him. And I thought that... Um, uh, that I had dealt with it and that my feelings with my dad, you know, were over. I was able to talk to him. I talked to him about, you know, um, with my uncle and um, I would talk to him, you know, talk about him with family members. And it still was weird. It was still, it still hurt. It was still very painful. Like, why is this, this is 20 something years ago at the time. Why does this still hurt so much? Why is, you know, there's, there's still something there. And um, and I didn't get it. I, I, you know, I just didn't get it. So so time passed again. And um, recently, uh, a couple months ago, um, and this is how crazy things are, um, I was changing my daughter, uh, just changing her clothes. And um, before I get to that, just... The fact that I even mentioned my daughter, that now I have a kid and, you know, that stuff was painful, that um, he's not around for that and, you know, all those things. So that was more, um, uh, maybe more some, you know, maybe more resentment towards it or just, um, you know, just the, the feeling that he's not here to see all this stuff. Um, to where I bought my house, um, my wife and I bought a house in Patterson in an area where my dad used to always fantasize about living. And I didn't know that till my mom, you know, came to visit my house once we bought it. Um, but that's, you know, that's pretty crazy too. My wife is also, my wife's birthday, the day my wife was born, is also the same day that my dad died. Um, so that was crazy too. Um, and um, so fast forward to now. Um, I'm changing my daughter one day. I'm putting her clothes on. And sometimes I have some morbid thoughts. I don't know if anybody else can relate to this. But I was just sitting there thinking about my daughter and her life and what it would be like if I died. And I was just, you know, sometimes I daydream about death. I've grown up with so much death in my life um, since six years old, since burying my dad, burying my uncles, burying, um, you know, my grandmother, both of them. Um, just so much death, my cousins, and um, I was just always around death. So I'm I fascinated about this uh, quite often. Just fascinated about my death and how it affects people, and what people would be like at my funeral, or 
uh, fantasize about other people's deaths and how I react to it. Um, and it's just, you know, some morbid stuff. Sometimes I make myself cry doing it. I never really told anybody this. Um, you know, sometimes my, my thoughts will take me that far to, into the feelings when I feel it. And these are daydreams. These aren't like I'm sleeping and this happens. Like, I'm awake. And I'll bring myself to this point. Um, so I'm sitting there and I'm bringing myself to that point. I'm looking at my daughter and I'm thinking about her and what her life would be like, how she would grow up without me. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. And it was something I've never, ever in my life ever thought of. And I couldn't. And I can only think of it as a parent. But as I was staring, staring at my daughter and thinking about what her life was going to be like if I died, it hit me that my dad had to look at me knowing that I that he was going to die and that I was going to have to grow up without him. And that hit me so hard. In my whole life, I have never once empathized with my father and what my father felt and what my dad had to go through knowing that he was getting eaten up alive. My dad was a big, strong guy. And if you see pictures of him in the hospital, that fucking disease destroyed him, ran through him. He was skin and bones when he died. They had to bury him in a, in a hazard bag. All right, the, the casket had to be closed when my father died. Um, and, and in that casket, he was in a, in a hazmat bag because they didn't know about the disease back then. They didn't know if it was airborne. They didn't know how you got it. This was the 80s. Um, so I never in my life empathized with what my father had to go through, the pain of, from what my family, obviously from what, everything my family's told me of how much he loved me. I was his only kid, his firstborn and his only, his namesake. You know, his junior. And um, and he had to know. He had to look at me in the face. Uh, when I used to go visit him in the hospital. Um, those are bringing memories of going to see him in the hospital too. Um, I also remember the day that he died. The moment he died. Um, and they took me out of the room. Um, but anyway. Um, uh, yeah, so I was sitting there looking at my daughter. And it just... The, that emotion flooded me and I started crying and I just I couldn't I never could have thought that I would ever I don't know what the fuck I'm trying to say I never never ever looked at it from his point of view I never looked at it for like he had to look at me his baby boy and know that time is up that he's not going to see me hit 10 He's not gonna hit, he's not gonna see me hit seven. He's not gonna see me drive. He's not gonna see me go on my first date. He's not gonna see me play basketball and play varsity basketball and play in the playoffs. And he's not gonna see me graduate. He's not gonna see me get married. He's not gonna see anything. He had to sit there and think of that and know that in his heart. And that to me was just I'm daydreaming about it and it was breaking my heart looking at my daughter like that. And he knew it was real. And I never, never, ever empathized with that. And um, and that really, really changed my whole perspective of my father. I never connected with him on an emotional level like that. Um, and it brought me so much closer to him. And I had such a different view of him now. Um, I'm sympathetic. I'm, you know, I'm more empathetic towards it, and and it's just, um, it's released a lot of the anger that I had, that I still had, and um, and I just appreciate that little bit of time and the memories and all that stuff. Um, you know, I appreciate that stuff much more. But um, this is when the story takes a little bit of a turn into the uh, paranormal. Don't know what anybody's religious beliefs are. I don't know if you believe in ghosts. I don't know what your thoughts on the afterlife is. Um, I'm, I grew up Catholic. I am no longer a Catholic. I do not believe in the Bible form of religion. Um, 
you know, that's a conversation for another day. Uh, but I, I just don't believe in, in, in the, the written form and what we see today as modern Christianity. I, I just, it's all man-made and I don't, I don't believe in the Holy Ghost. I don't believe in, you know, spirit. It's just an easy way to explain something. Um, very complicated. And that's not to say I don't believe in God. I just choose to believe in God in a different way. And I choose to believe in, in, in heaven and hell in a different way if they even exist. Um, I just feel like it's, su it's such a simple, um, simple way to explain something that's way more fucking complicated than anybody knows. And, um, and, uh, my dad was very, very, very religious, um, I believe he was Pentecostal, I believe he was a Pentecostal preacher at one point, um, which it's also why I used, to, I got so mad at religion, um, but, um, yeah, my family's super religious, especially his side of the family, and, um, so I say that because, um, the other night, uh, I've never, ever ever in my whole life had a dream with my dad and um this past weekend uh, i think it was friday either friday night and saturday i woke up or saturday night and sunday i woke up i think it was saturday into sunday i had a dream and i was in my i woke up out of bed and it's like you know like you see in those in the movies when somebody has a dream with a with a ghost and everything's kind of like faded like you wake up and it's almost like foggy and I woke up out of bed, and I got up, and I walked um, out of the bedroom. I made a left down the hallway. And down my hallway, you look straight down, and there's a wall. And then if you, um, if you make a right and then a left, it opens up into the living room. So on the other side of that wall is a living, my, my living room. And in my living room, on uh, the back right corner is my daughter's corner that's where all her toys that's where her little table her little kitchen set all her little freaking disaster area is in that corner and then the couch is all the way to the left almost to the dining room um when i when i rounded that corner in my dream uh again it's real foggy like not foggy but i don't know how to it's, it's cloudy but there's oh man it's just it's um it's almost like faded. I don't know how to describe it, but it's like, you know, like I said, just like you see in, in on the TV shows and the movies, like a foggy dream. And, um, and I round in the corner and I look and the toys aren't there. None of, none of the, my daughter's stuff is there. The couch is in the middle of the room and laying on the couch is my dad. And, um, and I looked at him and he looked at me and he sat up. And I, and I started walking over to him, and I sat down next to him, and I was like, what are you doing here? And he replied, and he said, I'm finally able to come see you. And I said, um, how are you? And he said, I'm, I'm fine. I'm not in any pain. Uh, everything's okay. And I asked him, um, I asked him, uh, why did you leave me? Oh, um, I, I'm. I asked him, you know, why? Why did you leave me? Or I asked him, um, you know, why didn't you stop for me? That was always, like I said, my biggest resentment is, if you love me so much, why didn't you stop doing drugs? And um, he responded and said it was. Um, He responded back and he said, um, by the time I knew about you, it was too late. And that was, that was the end of the dream. And I woke up. And my whole life, uh, I always, anytime anybody ever talked about dreaming with the dead or with ghosts, um, you know, whatever, uh, my belief is on it, I, you know, I, I come from more of an, uh, I don't know, <laughs> I don't, I don't pretend to know it either way, and, um, I'm just open to things, you know, I grew up with a lot, with a, my, my mother's side of the family, um, you know, my grandmother was into Santeria, and, and everything, and stuff like that, and my father's side of the family, you know, they were like half Jehovah Witnesses, 
excuse me, or full Jehovah Witnesses. And still are, I don't know. I don't know how that shit works. Um, oh, man. Um, but i always been resentful towards the idea that why did my dad never come visit me in my dreams? You know, how come I never had any dreams? I never, ever had any dreams. Why didn't we play catch in my dreams? Why didn't we ever do any, you know, like, I don't know. I always see things on in TV and you get this false sense of the way things are supposed to be. And, um, and I just always wondered, I just, I always hated that, that people would have dreams with their dead loved ones. And even my family, like sometimes they would just talk about having a dream with someone else, completely unrelated to my dad. And that first thing I would think of is be like, oh, God, you can't even come visit me. Like, you know, you left me when I was six. Why don't you come say hi or something like that? That's the kind of shit I used to think about. And, um. And, and that happened this weekend, he can't, you know, it was my dream, I don't know, I don't know if it's a ghost, I don't know if it's just my mind creating something to comfort myself, but why now, why after so long, like, you know, like, why did it happen now, and I, I called my mom the next morning, and I told her, and she was like, oh my god, I can't believe it, and she thought, <laughs> she said that, um, that maybe he just got out of purgatory, just did a bid in purgatory. <laughs> Oh my God! Um, but you never know. Like you know, like I said, uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't pretend to know either way. Um, maybe that's the case. Um, also, um, maybe, maybe now that I'm a parent, I can understand. And I think, I don't, I don't know. But I think maybe because I had that revelation with my daughter, and and being able to empathize with him and and see it in a different way kind of opened that door uh, maybe I wasn't ready to handle that earlier you know like maybe I'd just be full of anger and he didn't want to come and get yelled at <laughs> if, I, if I yelled at him anything like my mom used to um, uh, my mom used to have this song for anybody that's Spanish that listens to this my mom used to have this song and she would sing it to me all the time do papa on my mouth do papa on my mouth <laughs> Um, which is like basically your dad's a fag. <laughs> um, you know, she was mad at him. She she had her her um, her issues, obviously, because uh, she didn't know. My mother didn't know about my dad's drug use. My my dad hid it. Um, we hid it from everybody. It was a it was um it was a shock to everyone. This whole thing, and my whole life I've been selfish and self-absorbed and um and i never ever considered what anybody else had to go through when it considered when it concerned my father i was the one that had it worse than anyone else because i was his son and i had to grow up without him so i never empathized um with what anybody else was going through um you know not my uncle not my grandmother his mother um my abuelita Monin. Uh, who passed away uh, six years ago, I believe, about six years ago from cancer. Um, no, not even. I think it was four years ago, 2015, maybe, 2014. Uh, one of those, um, you know, fairly recently um, from a battle of cancer. And that woman, you know, she's seen all her boys die. You know, she saw my uncle die. Um, she didn't see Angel die. Um, but she saw, you know, two of her sons die, and, um, and, and that was really hard on her, too. And I never empathized with anybody else's fucking feelings at all. Uh, it was always just about uh, my, my problems. And um, so that's what I learned from, you know, these last, this last year, um, just... Well, I'm going to say last year, these last few months. Oh, man, bringing that, that kind of uh, to a full circle. Um, so anybody that's um, has that hanging over their head, that, um, you know, pivotal person, maybe you're dealing with grief um, for somebody that's dying, and, um, and you just have to go through it. you got to go through all of it. There's nothing anybody can really do to... 
walk you through it. You just have to feel those emotions. You can't run from them. You can't run from them with drugs and alcohol. They're still going to be there, and they're going to be worse. Um, afterwards, it's going to be harder to deal with because you're going to have other problems too. Um, so, well, you know, that's my uh, my uh, my tip. I don't know if it's a tip or not, but uh, that's my story as far as it comes to my dad. Um, so now the journey begins on me trying to talk to as many people as I can that are alive still, that know him, and and try to gather all the pieces of the puzzle that I was never able to gather before. Another, uh, I was talking to my brother, me and my brother went out for dinner Sunday, and I told him about this too. And, um, you know, we sat there and reminisced, and he told me something about my father I never knew. And he said that when my father was sick, really, really sick, like towards the end, uh, my father told my brother not to cry for him. Don't cry. He said, he said don't cry for me because I'm going to meet my maker. And my brother told me that my father never complained. My father never said, why me? My father never wanted pity. He didn't want pity. He accepted responsibility for what he did to himself and the position that he put himself in. And he never asked for... Um, for anybody to feel sorry for him and he didn't feel sorry for himself and he just sat there and and took his um his punishment for you know well, i wouldn't say punishment that's harsh uh he took his uh his responsibility he was um accountable that last that last time um so that to me is uh is a real uh a real demonstration of the kind of character that he had um, to be faced with that. I don't. I can't pretend that I would be the same. I would probably be saying, "Why me? You know, why did this happen to me?" Um, but I don't know. I, I don't know. hope to never have to find out about being in that position uh, because, like I said, now as a parent, and um, you know, I daydream about it, but I, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to not be there for for my daughter or. Um, just leave behind something like that like that was really 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 difficult to grow up with and um and it just like i don't know just in hindsight i just it makes everything make so much sense um being able to look back and seeing how my pain on losing my father just shaped all of the the negative negativity in my life because I didn't deal with it. I didn't, I, I didn't deal with it properly. Nobody dealt with it properly. Nobody can, you know, like, a, it's, you know, there wasn't anybody there to tell you that you have to feel a certain way or that you have to deal with it a certain way. You know, we don't, we didn't know back then what we know now about mental health and, and dealing with, uh, you know, all these things and psychology and everything like that. Um, there's, there's so many more resources that we have now. So I wanted to make this podcast um, to talk about my dad, a little, a little tribute to my father. Um, and also because somebody listening to this might have um, similar feelings, uh, might have something they're holding. You know, they might it might be a blind spot. Like I said, I didn't know I was angry with my dad. I really did not know. And, um, and when I came to that realization, that really helped me, um, it helped me become a better person. It helped me become more, you know, mature, more self-reliant. I took those walls down and I became my genuine self. And, um, and that was a really good gift that I got from a pretty shitty situation. And, um... I just hope that if anybody does hear this and, and maybe they know somebody that's struggling or something, um, you know, reach out to me on social media. Um, you know, if you see me in person, if you know my number, um, you know, call me. And I'll, if you have a similar situation, if you um, if you can relate in any way, I, you know, I'm, I'm down to talk about this uh, with anybody. Um, Especially if you're going through something, I'm down to talk uh, and help you work through it. And um, I've always learned in my life when I help people, um, you know, I also help myself. So there's always selfishness in um, 
and helping others because when you I, whenever I help someone I get out of my own way and I really benefit from it personally um, you know uh, it's like just just it's towards growth and um, I would love to um, you know hear any feedback or anything like that I know this was a wasn't a funny podcast it wasn't a very light or bright podcast it was kind of dark um, if you've listened this far I really appreciate it this is uh, my story I'm glad I got it out um, so I'm gonna do a couple more of these podcasts where I talk about these things and I'm talking about them because it's good for me to just to to get it out I was talking to my wife about this earlier and she said it's probably better that you do a podcast about it than write about it because the way my mind works, my mind works so much faster than the way my hand can write or that I can type. So a lot of times I start writing these things and I end up stopping and daydreaming because, again, my mind's working so fast and um, it's, it's just, uh, it's not, you know, it's, it's just better for me to talk about it and, um, that's it, man. Uh, appreciate you guys for listening. We'll be back with um, with some more episodes. I want to do this uh, at least weekly and get one up every week. Um, next week, we're going to talk about something maybe a little bit more light. I'm going to try to space these deep-ass podcasts, um, uh, space them apart so we can do some lighthearted shit too, some funny. Maybe we'll get some guests sometimes. Uh, but that's it, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And like always, laugh. It's good medicine. Laughter is the best medicine. And you can get your prescriptions filled at vicisfunny.com. V-I-C-I-S-F-U-N-N-Y.com. You can catch me on all social media. I will be back March 1st. Uh, you can catch me at vicisfunny. V-I-C-I-Z funny on Facebook, on Instagram and Twitter. Because uh, some fat bitch took Vic is funny. All right. Thanks, guys.